You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Good morning and welcome to the Coaching Inn. Today, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with coaches Ivan Young, who lives in Hong Kong, and Elena Buchero, who is in Europe. Welcome, Ivan and Elena. Uh, Thank you for having us. Good morning. Good morning. It's such a pleasure to have you. So you sent me a message, but we're going to talk about that later. First of all, let's hear about you and your coaching journeys. So, uh, Ivan, you're latest in the day. You start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'm actually more of a mentor. I've been mentoring for the past uh, 15 years in startup mentoring, career coaching mentoring for one of the universities out here in Hong Kong, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, I'm in my 10th year with them. Uh, I've also done uh, some coaching work, but primarily a lot of mentoring. Currently, I'm actually a mentor at the Malaysian National Startup Level event where I get a cohort of one or two startups to mentor to get help them to get into the uh, you know to get into the market and to build their to scale up their their startup. So that's where I'm, I am actually more of a mentor, but um, I'm venturing into coaching with simplifying coaching as my base. There you are. Yeah. I didn't ask him to say that, listeners. Yeah. That's great <laughs> news, Ivan. Yeah. Well, welcome, and Elena. Tell us about your uh-huh. coaching journey. Yeah, after having been uh, an entrepreneur for almost 10 years, I was relocated to China and I started teaching. And I loved it so much. Uh, That's the application of my knowledge in business and sharing it with the students. So on my return to Belgium, to Brussels, I, I continued teaching and I continued mentoring. And because I'm so in love with knowledge in general, so I decided to complete my education by going to the Henley Business School and earning my degree. Uh, so at the moment, I do uh, coach to the European Commission, to the European Innovation Council, and I do teach at the UBI, the United Business Institute in Brussels. So right. I'm a lady who is sitting on two seats, but not in between. Great. Well, welcome, both of you. Uh, I didn't realise that you'd been in China or that you went to Henley, Elena. That is really lovely to hear. So I think, how did you two meet? Oh, I think we we met because of EMCC, so the European okay. Mentoring and Coaching Council. Um, I'm actually at the EMCC as the founding committee member for the EMCC in Asia Pacific mm-hmm. and also the... Uh, the VP for Social Responsibility Initiative uh, for both Asia Pacific and Global. I think we met at a mentoring conference, right, Elena? Absolutely. And I was the, yeah. actually, I was on a task force. I was preparing the conference with uh, absolutely fantastic people. And we're working very, very hard to, uh, to, to get all the speakers. So this is come, uh, how I came across Ivan uh, uh, with his uh, uh, speaker proposal. Okay, mm. cool. And... You were having a conversation on LinkedIn and you invited me in. Yes, it was my fault. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I I know that you're a very busy lady, but I I dared to to take you in. Because, uh, you know, faith is not something that we speak openly. And uh, uh, even he was so 
open about his uh, uh, beautiful um, uh, sketches, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he spoke very, very openly, openly about this. And I actually um, remember that you, uh, Claire, uh, also spoke very openly about your faith. Okay. And I thought, mm. hmm, it would be really interesting uh, to get these two people together in the podcast. Yes. Because, yes. Claire, <laughs> I've been listening to you. I've been following you. I've been listening to your podcast. I've been reading your books uh, quite regularly. Well, the right place to have a conversation about faith and coaching is definitely at the Coaching <laughs> Inn. Mm-hmm. So, Ivan, you had done a little drawing, hadn't you? Tell us about that. Oh, it's just a simple sketch where I drew um, actually myself uh, praying, and then yeah, I've drawn this. Uh, you know, it's heavens invades earth when I pray, and I I re I mean I redraw that into a sketch where you know you can see all these lines of things pouring down from heaven to earth as you pray, and I decided to post it because I was my wife was was the one who encouraged me to post it and. Um, so whenever I sketch something, I show it to her. Is this good enough to go up online? And she said, yes, this yeah. one should go. And oh, no, you need to rebuild on that one. But this one, she said, definitely we should put it out there. Um, I think one of the things that we have been very shy of doing is like, how can we not uh, talk about Jesus openly in workplace, but yet do it in a more subtle way? And I'm trying to see if I can challenge myself to change that. You know, and to say that look, we should be quite open about. You know, we uh, we should be daring and brave enough to say out there that I'm a Christian, and these are the practices I practice, and this is how I do business as a Christian, and this is how I do my work as a Christian. And I think we should be loud about it, and um, mm. instead of just making it more subline, you know, you can sense it, but you can't see, you can't see it clearly. And I think I want to change that somewhat in a more. Um, more sublime and more natural way or like less imposing way, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, there's something, there's so many things that have come up as you said that, Ivan. Right. That, that heaven invades earth thing is interesting, isn't it? Because um, there's a phrase, certainly in, in, in England, and I think probably in Celtic places where there's mm-hmm. been a, a Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Right. Where where they describe thin places. Mm-hmm. And a thin place is a place where heaven meets earth. Now, well, listeners, if if the Christian faith isn't part of your journey, you can probably still identify with places where you get a real sense of something, of something right. deeper and older and more ancient. And and in Celtic Christianity, they call that a thin place. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that when we had that really quick conversation, didn't we? And Elena, you said I should write a book called Coaching as a Thin yes, Place. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Fantastic title. But you see, they call this uh, in different words, intuition, gut feeling. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, an intuition and gut feeling in one context, in another context, is called discernment. Right, right. So, so there's a where does it come from and how does it feel and all of those kinds of questions. But, and we work with human beings, don't we, who are body, mind and spirit mm. and mm. therefore being able to engage in the spiritual, if that is our thing, 
but also being able to engage in the spiritual if it's not our thing with people for whom it is important. We need to be able to be fluent across those boundaries, I think. Right. The other uh, thing I want to pick up, I, go on. Go on, Ivan. So I just wanted to add that for me, this discernment is actually uh, the Holy Spirit guiding me. So, so this this coaching experience I've had so far, and when I read your book, is about you, you clearly say that you know we, a lot of new coaches are always under pressure to perform, and you always ask questions to see if I'm performing well or not. But in actual fact, if you look at it in another way, this discernment that we have, like you were saying in your book, that the best questions to prepare comes from the thinker, from the coachee themselves. And how do I discern what what's the next question to ask if I use them as a source? And I need a teacher to teach me that. And that will be the Holy Spirit who will teach me how to discern what's to say next, the words that comes out that will trigger the next uh, you know, uh, insight. So uh, to me, for me, that is actually the Holy Spirit talking. So when I approach mentoring and coaching nowadays, I find it quite exciting for me, not because of the coachee but, or the problem that the coachee has, but because it's a chance for me to go to my Holy Spirit and get him to guide me what to do next. And it will be an hour of my own personal experience with the Holy Spirit. So I look at it that way and, and coaching and mentoring has become really exciting because instead of preparing with the tools and the question I need to ask, the tools and all that, I go and pray for a while, have a quiet time and uh, and just want to see what the Holy Spirit do actually during the session. That's, that's what, what coaching is for me at the moment actually. And that's a sensing thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and people use different language for that, don't they? Uh, even people in the Christian tradition would use different language for that. Yes. Um, but there's something about about sensing what's happening in the space between yes. us, and and using that sensing to inform how we do what we do. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and you know, the Bible says that when two or three gathers together, Jesus, when two or three gathers together, Jesus among is among you actually, and um uh, and that coaching experience, if we are doing it with another fellow Christian, is actually quite a powerful thing. It's almost like, I, I think prayers work very very well for uh for husband and wife because it's, you easily get two person and Jesus amidst you when you do pray together and prayers become more. Uh, powerful when you know husband and wife pray together because when two are more together Jesus is amongst you and I think coaching with a fellow Christian especially I think it gives you that kind of opportunity for Christ to be present as well I think that's that's how I look at coaching now especially the one-to-one sessions yeah yeah and also when the person who you're talking to has a different belief mm, 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 mm. I have a I have a thing in our kitchen it's a beautiful glass thing that hangs down and it's it's from Jung actually uh Mm. Carl Jung but it says bidden or unbidden God is present Mm, 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 mm. so when when we ask or when we don't ask God is present and I and I think that's such an interesting thing because when I when I got that Many, many, many years ago, I don't think I really knew much about Jung, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I got it because I was very moved by the words "bidden" or "unbidden," "asked for" or "unasked for." God is present, um, but I love that that comes from a space that's outside of 
the Christian faith and outside of the church. And yet mm. that is something that he observes in conversations that bidden or unbidden God is present. Right. Right. And, you know, You've talked about Jesus. Jesus is someone who I also follow, and Elena. Uh, some of our listeners will relate more to the idea of God and less to the idea of Jesus, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but but sensing that there's someone outside of ourselves who's present in our conversations is a really useful thing, I think. Right. It's not about that's us, right. is it? No. <laughs> it's not about us. Elena, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are, uh, Ian uh, has mentioned uh, uh, praying together and uh, with the client, right? I um, I got a very different opinion on this because, and not because in fact it's um, I'm very reserved about my faith. I I really don't mix uh, my professional life, my personal life. Because I think sometimes by re revealing your faith, it can be offensive to someone. Someone could question your professional skills. Someone could uh, say, oh, yeah, well, uh, uh, we are not on the same page at all. You see, uh, it's very rare when you are on the same page with your client. I'm on the same page in my Orthodox church in, uh, church in Brussels. Certainly on the same page, <laughs> but not when I meet him uh, with my clients. I, I'm very reserved. And there's a question, isn't there, about how we? Uh, there's something about how we sh how we arrive, mm -hmm. and then there's also something about what we do. So we arrive mm -hmm. as our whole selves, body, mind, and spirit, and we've described that our faith is part of who we are as we show up. And what we do with that in the room, yeah. it really depends on all kinds of zillions of things. You know, praying with people, I very, very rarely would mm. do that, In mm. even when the person who comes is a person of faith. Right, agree. Mm. And the reason for that is, if God is present in the conversation, that's enough. Yes. Well, I must clarify that I don't do uh, no, I, prayers, I coaching. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but then I I hear what you know, Elena is saying as well because a lot of my clients' mentorings and they are they are Muslims actually they are or, or different faith or Hindu faith Muslims and all that, and but but then again what I do is. I think when I do coaching, it's an opportunity for me to meet to meet God as well, actually, and to be in to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's a personal experience for myself, even for my own end when I go into a conversation with my mentee who are not of Christian faith. And the feedback that I get from them is that they do feel that um, one of the feedback I got from one of my mentees for many years ago was that when I asked him, like, uh, I need some comments about how I mentor, I mentor you and the only thing he told me was I, I feel that you have my best interest in, in your in your mind you know, you love me so much that you know you have my best interest whenever we talk and I think that's what encouraged me to continue doing what I do because somehow uh, more than enough people has come to me and say that when they spoke to me 
they feel this love, which I didn't intentionally go and do it. I think probably the Holy Spirit or, you know, has actually guided me to do that. And I think that's a wonderful experience for myself, even for myself to, to hear feedback like that. Go on, Elena. I think the Christian values in you and us yeah. could potentially, I think, make us a better coach. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I think one of the one of the missing things in, in Christianity, a lot, a lot of Christians miss out is that Christianity is about love. So even when we uh, correct someone, it must be corrected out of love, and you know, and we must do it in such a way that it it, it doesn't burden the person with love. I mean, um, in Claire has actually mentioned in her book Simplified Coaching, some of the coaches has actually created you know stress to the coachee, and you know they have bad experiences. And I think because when they when they do their work, maybe they are too focused on the task at hand and not the love for that person. And after reading the book, I feel that if somehow in the in the middle of a session, if I feel that I'm not giving in, uh, if I feel that somewhat love is missing in the conversation, I'm gonna from now on, what's gonna do? Yeah, I'm gonna tell the you know client or coachee that we have to stop here somehow because we're not going. Um, we're not going down the right path for some someone. I'm willing to actually you know say no to a client if I don't feel that we are doing the right. I'm not giving out the right uh, you know vibes or you know the love that that's coming out of my uh, my my mouth. And I think that's one of the important thing about Christian value in us, Elena. I, I agree, I absolutely agree with you that it should, for me, it will be a guiding light to be how to be a better coach, definitely. There's something about love for others there. Mm. As you were talking, there was something about, about learning to wait, mm. which is a thing that's very present in faith learning to wait and to be. It's interesting. Years ago, I read a book by um, the Professor of Human Development at Stanford University. Mm. And his name was, is William Damon. And he wrote a book mm. called The Path to Purpose. And his research was about what gives young people purpose in life. And the thing that was really interesting, there's, I've lent the book to someone else. Otherwise, I would pick it up off the shelf and I would read you this line, which I'm going to have to try and remember. But he mm -hmm. said that people only find purpose when they have a belief in something outside of themselves. Mm. And he said, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's where human development meets faith, a belief in something outside of ourselves. And I think that the Christian values you were talking about, Elena, if there's also something that says, if I'm in the coaching room and I think it is entirely down to me, I'm going to think it's entirely down to me. I get, because the coaching teaching says it's also also down to the client or the thinker, mm. but actually it's down to both of us and it's not going terribly well, so it's down to me again. Whereas when right. you have a belief in something outside of yourself, your worldview, your way of living your life is actually that it's not all down to me. And therefore, being able to relinquish the control in the conversation, I think, becomes easier. Because mm. I live my life knowing it's all believing that it's not all down to me. So taking that into the coaching room is, is using something that I'm quite used to. 
because that's how I live my life. Mm. That's a wonderful insight. I mean, like knowing that there's something that's beyond us and it's not up to us, somehow just release relieve us from that burden of performing. When I read your book, uh, Simplifying Coaching, I think one of the things that actually frees me off is, is imposter syndrome. Like, am I good enough to be a coach? Um, believe it or not, I was actually looking at some uh, formal coaching courses to go for during my holidays. And then uh, that was before reading your book. So I was thinking, okay, I probably need something more solid, something more from a university or something. So I started sourcing and all those things. And then I pick up your book and Elena suggested we, we buy we read it. I bought the book and it came before Christmas and I read it. I realized that it's actually, no, it's, I don't need a more formal education. It's because there are things that's happening that's beyond me. Plus the fact that um, doesn't coaching doesn't mean you need to lead to a problem solution. I mean, like, there might be no solution at the end of the conversation or whatever sessions that you have. But, you know, so as long as the thinker is able to think and have an insight to think more deeper, I think that's a success in coaching. And I think that really frees me a lot, actually. I mean, from, from your book, Claire, I mean, really wonderful book. I mean, I think it's a, it's a wonderful book even for experienced coaches or even experienced mentors. I'm going to do mentoring differently after this as well, definitely, after reading wow. your book. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot. Thank you, Ivan. Yeah, yeah. But but I think the not knowing is probably the biggest jump for all coaches. And in mm. the Bible, it says that faith is about not knowing. Yes, and 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 I think when when, when you when we, one of the definitions that I like really that you gave about coaching is is future focus. Where one is of service to another to think, I think mm. that's 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 somewhat you mentioned. And future focus, I think one of the key thing about is uh, of in our you know Christian faith is the concept of hope. And many people think hope is says, I hope this will happen, or I hope that will happen. I hope I'm lucky. I, I hope uh, they equated hope into luck. When actual fact is, hope, to me as a Christian, is a constant belief of something good is going to happen. It has not happened yet. But I believe constantly something, I expect something good to happen out of whatever situation I'm in. And I think that has helped me uh, tremendously as well in my in my path, you know, working as an entrepreneur or sales or whatever that I've been challenging myself to do. It's the it's famous. Really... Yes, yes. There is the famous ICF, ICF's the positive regard. <laughs> Unconditional positive regard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's believing in somebody, isn't it? Unconditional yeah. positive regard is about believing that some in somebody and that somebody is is re resourceful and all of those things. And mm. for me, that's actually believing that if I believe in creation, whatever that looks like. Um, but if I believe that 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 there is a God and that God created the world, then I also believe that that there's a part that God is in all of us and God created us. And therefore that there is that part in everybody. Right. And therefore that, that makes, that makes those kind of conversations easier. As you were just talking, both of you, then I was thinking you, you said about future focused Ivan, and I was thinking about hope. And earlier on, you were talking about love. Mm. And then we were talking about not knowing. Right. Which is a another way, you know, faith is a way of talking about not knowing. It's that believing in what you can't see. 
And isn't there a verse in the Bible about that? Mm. Well, yes, I've, yes, just, yes, I've yes. just looked it up. I've just looked it up. <laughs> so it's in, it's in a letter that Paul wrote to the people in, in, in Corinth. And it says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. love. And the greatest of these is love. Yes. And aren't faith, hope, and love real characteristics of great coaches? Mm, mm. Now I have anxiety because none of those are in the new book that's about the characteristics of great coaches, but hey. (laughs) (laughs) There's all this time to write another book. Yes. You know, another interesting book I read over the holidays, uh, a book called uh, by Haruki Murakami, the uh, famous novelist of Norwegian Woods and 18Q something. I can't remember the title of the book. He's a Japanese anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, the book is titled uh, a vocation, the uh, no, no, Novelist as a Vocation. So he writes about how he got into being a novelist. And then for some reason, I've never read forwards before. But somehow for this book, I decided to read the foreword. And he wrote about the foreword of the book. And then he says about, um, he continues to actually write novels after novels after novels because he has this sense of amazement that he can actually make a living out of this. And that got him writing and writing. And so when I read that, it was like his purpose is never smart goals or objective that is actually achievable. Non- nothing like that is based on the feeling. And then as you read the book further on, he talks about how initially he was chasing his passion, which is actually jazz. So because he loves jazz so much, he actually went and opened a jazz bar where he served drinks, get jazz players to come, the underground jazz players came and all that. And he had that thing for seven years with his wife. They were almost so broke all the time that uh, they're always behind rent, sleeping on the cold floor of their bar, but it was jazz. It was something that he was passionate about. And then the, he, he then mentioned that there was one time they were, there's no more money left to pay for the bar rent, the rental for the bar. And then somehow he found, a, 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 he actually stumbled upon an envelope and in, he picked it up. And in there, he had the right amount of money that needed to pay for rent for that month. And, and so he, he has all these Serendipitous Peter's uh, experiences. And then what finally got him to write uh, being a novelist was he went and watched his baseball game favorite team. I think it's called the Tokyo Salmon or something like that. A baseball team in Japan, his favorite team. Um, on that day, they hit a home run as he watched the ball goes over. He just got a feeling that I should be writing a novel. And then he went back and he wrote a novel and the novel won one of the prize that he submitted in. Where a lot of people, a lot of classmates came back to him and go, come to his bar and say that if this is a novel that can be impressed, I can do it too. I mean, when he said that, it was because that book was so to him it was it was written in so simple way that uh, that he anybody thought they can write it, and that started his journey on being a novel. So when you mentioned earlier about that, is a spirit in all of us. I think even for non, I'm not sure whether he's a Christian or not. Let's let's assume that he's not, but there is a spirit in him that's being you know. Um, that is actually looking and constantly uh, telling him, showing him hope, love, and joy. Mm-hmm. So when I when I read this and I read, and I, when I read this book and I, when I read your book and when I read the Bible again, I feel that sometimes um, 
when we tell people to chase your passion may not be the good thing because that's not what God wants you to do. When God wants you to do something, the grace will come. I think that's a more important part for uh, for you. When, I mean, for me as a coach now, I think I'm, I'm praying to God for grace so that mm. results will come for my coachee mm. from our conversation that we had with, with me. Um, not grace for me, but grace for them to see yeah. results. Yeah, when they see something, when they, when they have a session, after that, they go back and think and have insights. And um, and I, I just want to share a story here that I, mean, I, I think I told you guys before that I have a startup that I was mentoring. And then the first conversation we had was uh, at the national level. He told me that, Ivan, I'm running, I've run out of money. Everybody is, I have to ask everyone to leave, including my intern. There's only me left. But we're having this conversation because I, I got into the program. And I say, well, um, let's let's you know, let's let's not just. Then he said, do in some way he was actually insinuating that whether should he drop off the program or not because his startup is going to collapse. There's no more things left and all that. Then we I say, okay, let's acknowledge that, and then we start. Let's let's plan. You know, work on how we can you know go and build something about that can help you get more revenue and all that. And we started working on that a few sessions, and that was in June. And then in October, he came. Uh, I encouraged him to do something in mentoring. Uh, I encouraged him to do something for free, and he did it. And that has led him to now being invested by a studio, a, a movie studio that invested in his startups. And they invested about 1.3 million ringgit. Uh, it came on the news. It was a big item on the news because that studio just made a big movie that made 90 million ringgit, uh, you know, kind of a production. And, um, and then... He came back and tell me that you know, uh, th- thank you so much. It was such a he he mentioned about it in his post and all this thing. But when I look at the timeline, for you to save a startup, there's running, there's no more money left to getting invested in angel funds of you know one point five million ringgit, which, which is about. Let me just quickly run a quick uh, conversion here. In three months, it's almost impossible without God's grace, and. He, he not only he get the money he get he's get himself in the papers as well he's now a national everybody knows about him he's he got quite you know, you know famous around the startup circuit as well and it, that's impossible without God's grace and it, though he he said that he had to do it for a mentoring session but I I can guarantee you it's not uh, of course he's not a Christian uh, so I didn't mention about that but I believe totally that it's God's grace that helped him so he got invested about three hundred and twenty thousand euros wow. Yes, and, wow. and I see God's grace in in that you know in that moment, and uh, it's just really a it's a very exciting experience for me. Although I'm not the one to get the three hundred thousand euros. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you know when you were talking earlier about maybe we shouldn't be asking people to follow their passions? Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of work over the years around vocation helping people to find their calling and much of that has been people in the in the in the christian space mm-hmm. but vocation is also a word that people understand in other contexts right because you've just talked about the the novelist the vocation mm. as a novelist mm. um and from time to time i try and find out i try and find out you know some some wisdom around vocation and aristotle Thousands mm. of years ago, he said that where your talents, the things that you're good at and the needs of the world collide, there right. lies your vocation. And it's interesting 
that that doesn't include passion. Now, it may be that in those days they didn't talk about passion and all that kind of stuff. But what's mm-hmm. really interesting is that that's another example of, of, of connecting to things outside of ourselves. Right, right. Where the talents and the needs of the world collide, there lies your vocation. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting because talent is not something that you get to acquire. You actually are given somewhat. It's something it's from someone that's beyond, beyond us. From our parents, maybe yeah. God, and and the world's needs is actually you know something that's beyond our control as well. I mean, we exactly. can influence only so much of what's yeah. the world, but somehow that two things collide, and yeah. you see some results. I think that's just amazing, actually. I I sometimes think describe talents as being things that we are extraordinarily good at, mm-hmm. but they're also usually things we're passionate about. Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have become a talent if we hadn't had some passion for it because we'd have given up, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> you don't get you don't get the talent of a world class piano player unless you've liked it a bit. Yes. Because otherwise it shows. Like it shows in a coach, doesn't it? It shows in a coach when when there isn't it shows when there's too much passion. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they like mm-hmm. get too close to the to the thinker. But it also shows when there's not enough passion uh, because it feels like you're talking to somebody who's not really present in the room and it's all a bit boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm just really curious when you say, when, when, you, um, when you help people to find their purpose as a Christian, actually, because I have been doing that every single year for the past 10 years and I write it down, like, I, I started with goals, realistic goals, smart goals, 10, 10, 11 years ago. I write it down every single year. And because I because I get to read them back again, and then I, I rewrite it, the next year's goal. And I have 10 years of my own personal record of my own goal settings and what is my purpose in life. And searching purpose in life has not been easy for me either, actually. I, I find it, um, I would say that I'm still searching for it somehow. <laughs> What's God's purpose for me? I, I I asked myself that question again last year, at the end of last year. What's God's purpose for me? And um Can I invite somehow, you to can I invite you to change the question? Yes, yes. What's God's purpose for me at the moment? Change change the question, is it? To what's the, what's the purpose for me at the moment rather than ah, ever? Okay, what's the purpose for me at the moment? Oh, interesting. You're, you you realise you're talking to the person who never does smart goals and goes completely on what feels right <laughs> in the moment. I've never yes. had a business plan. <laughs> yeah, I realise that smart goals doesn't work. <laughs> After well, ten they years, work, they work for some people. They don't. They don't work yeah. for me. My thing is what yeah. what feels right now. Yes. Um, yes. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, Elena. I'm taking too much airtime, but just, I just want to share that I actually come from a very hard science background. So I'm an engineer from the Nanyan Technical University of Singapore. I started as an engineer making asthma drugs. And then I did a master's in organizational psychology. So all these needs hard science. It must be clearly yes or no. It must be data-driven. It has, it's all hard science. There's, there's no middle ground, no feeling. In fact, when I was in, this, in, the, in, the, in the factory, my boss used to tell me that go into the meeting if anyone starts to say, I feel, stop them because it's not about feeling. It's about 
you know, getting the thing done. We, we so if when we start 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 the conversation, I feel we should do this. That's going to stretch more than an hour. All our meetings are to finish in an hour and has be has be goal oriented. So I came with that kind of idea that feeling is not really good actually because it is not very productive, you know. And then when I got into mentoring, um, I again apply some of my hard science concepts to it, and I realized after that. After years of doing a few things, after years of doing it, it doesn't work for coaching and mentoring because coaching and mentoring requires this feeling to happen, the underbelly to come up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm. It took me a long time to relearn this actually because of my, you know, the the background that I had. And um, I'm glad that because of me finding this coaching and mentoring and EMCC and all those things, I learned that feeling is actually quite um. An integral part, even for myself, even to discover what is good for myself, not just for other people, and that has changed my life for the past this last three years, actually. I would say that's so interesting. Going back to what we said at the beginning, because because if you're entirely going on fact, mm. sensing that discerning inner voice, the Holy Spirit, whatever you choose to call that sensing thing. Is really mm. difficult yes. because you're going, but I don't know that as a fact. As you were talking about the manager going and you can't talk about feelings, I was thinking about, um, I've read a lot of, of stuff recently, including a book by a woman called Margaret Hefferman called Willful Blindness, which is about, mm. um, it's about when things go very badly wrong and nobody does anything about it effectively. But mm. often when things go badly wrong, the first sign of that is somebody has a feeling this doesn't feel right. Mm, mm, mm. And usually the fact has to be found out of the feeling. Right, right, right. right. But there's a risk, isn't there, if you're only going on facts? Because, mm. because you're, yeah, that would be a completely different podcast. <laughs> Elena, yeah, what, yeah, what are you noticing? Yeah, on the intuition and, and the right knowledge. Uh, on the intuition and the, the knowledge. It would be interesting to yeah. talk about. Uh, what, I, what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, uh, I would like to think about the values, the Christian values that we, um, we have as a cultures. And this uh, belief in the clients that they can do everything. Because God doesn't ask us to do anything for which God fails to keep us. And if you start every coaching session with this standing point mm. uh, and add this uh, love and care and unconditional regard and then um, active listening, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great recipe for success. In every coaching mm. session. Yeah. Faith, hope, love and holy listening. Yes, because mm. people people feel it. Even if they don't uh, yeah. they are, if they are not Christian and they uh, and and um uh, uh, um it could become really transformational. Because there is mm. some so little of this in the world. Yes. And it becomes less and less. I don't know whether whether you've noticed in your work. Oh, uh, uh, some of my clients say, "Oh, you're special, aren't you? Why? Why?" And I also ask, "Oh, why?" Because you do listen. 
You don't judge. You're warm. I I haven't been coached for years so well. Mm-hmm. Even though I, you see, I, I'm not that long in the profession. Five, seven years. Yeah. There's something about the capacity to be, mm. to be with someone. And I think that we, that, 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 that's something that might be inside us already and it might be something that we can learn to do. It's about stillness, isn't it? Right. Um, and, and if that's a practice that you've developed from your faith or from somewhere else outside of the coaching space, then it's good, then it's easier to bring that into the space, how we actually are, how we show up. And yeah. I think in your book, you mentioned about that having that space for the two of us, that can only happen like, you didn't mention it happened once, but I, I look at it like for us to meet in this room, this space, for this next hour at the moment, for this moment, it's going to happen only once because the next time when you come back, we'll have a different sort of uh, moment. Yeah. So, and, and, and when I think, when I start to think like that, I feel that what Elena says is true because we somehow wants to use that session to actually be to bring out you know the best transformative that we can get to 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 rub them off actually to have this you know transformative uh, transformative experience and we start out from love peace and joy and hope and and active listening and that will actually change our you know our approach to a coaching session because we feel that we cherish that moment so much this only come once and uh, it won't come back again because the next time we meet again, it will be a different type of moment, different types of energy, different type of uh, you know, it's a, a spiritual experience. So, I, I think that's really powerful for me. I'm going to start looking at every session as going to happen only once a lifetime. Yeah. Even if the same person. Yeah. In that moment, that moment will never happen again. Yes. Well, Elena and Ivan, thank you so much for coming to the Coaching Inn and kicking off a really brilliant conversation about faith and hope and love and transformation and all those beautiful things and faith. How do people contact you if they want to pick up the conversation? Elena, how do people contact you? Uh, It's very, very easy. Uh, I'm fully accessible on LinkedIn. Okay, and I'll... I'll put your link in the show notes. Thank you. And Ivan, LinkedIn as well? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well. That's the only social media that I'm active in. Okay, brilliant. Well, Elena Bushiero and Ivan Young, thank you for coming to the Coaching In. I'm Claire Patrick. And thank you for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.